This is Paul Eckert with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA and the journalists who cover them. I'm joined by Matt Pennington, who heads up RFA's Southeast Asian Services. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, thanks, Paul. It's been a busy week, and I'm glad it's moving to an end. Me too, Matt. This week, we dissect the bombastic speech that Chinese President Xi Jinping made to mark the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. I'll be speaking to RFA's Rita Chung, who will be asking the question why an occasion that was designed to trumpet the achievements of the party grabbed headlines around the world for sounding angry. Why exactly is the world's superpower in waiting telling the world it won't be bullied? But first, we turn to a country where there's no argument about who is doing the bullying. It's the men in khakis. Over to you, Matt. Thanks, Paul. So to Myanmar. Now, since the military grabbed power from an elected government in February, more than 5,000 people from all walks of life have been caught in its dragnet for opposing the coup. There's been politicians, doctors, nurses, bureaucrats, and students all locked up. And of course, there are 80 or more whose crime was just to do their job in reporting about the coup. I'm joined by one of those unfortunate journalists, Nathan Mong, who also happens to be an American. He is editor-in-chief of the independent news outlet Kamayut Media. He spent three months in detention in Yangon, where he was blindfolded and beaten before finally being released in mid-June and deported back to the United States. One of his close colleagues, Han Tan who also suffered mistreatment, remains in detention. Thank you very much for joining us, Nathan. Thank you so much, Matt. Now, you've worked in the past with RFA, and we were dismayed when we learned of your arrest back in March, and we were very relieved when we learned of your release. And it's probably not easy to relive those dark days that you endured in detention, so we're grateful for your willingness to share with us what, what happened. Yeah, my pleasure, yeah. So... Um, to set the scene a bit for our listeners, can you just tell us about Kamayut Media? What kind of news were you covering? At Kamayut Media, we've been covering stories, you know, at the site for the uh, human rights journalism because we've been a witness a lot of, you know, chaos and riots and violence around the around the country since 2012. So especially about the, you know, communal violence what happened in northern Rakhine State and central Burma. So since that time, we used to choose the uh, human rights journalism to okay. tell about the victim stories. Okay, so you were covering quite sensitive stories. How many journalists did you have working with you? I do have a video journalist about 36 or 37 around that time, okay. during the eight years of you know covering the stories. Okay, which sort of started after the, the opening of Myanmar after 2012. So, can you describe to us what happened when you were arrested? Yeah, on the date, you know, March 9, Tuesday, you know, while we were covering the story, what happened the, uh, yesterday in Sanjiang Township, where the, a lot of protesters and young, young teenagers of protesters, they were trapped in the, uh, uh, in the, in the township in the resident area. So around that, there's a, a lot of, you know, army tribes and troops and soldiers were surrounded. At the time, we were covering seriously and release our, you know, freedoms of the protester. And the next morning, we realized that there's no safety at all. So we have to think about to 
to you know abandon our office so we prepare it and unfortunately 10 minutes later there's about more than 45 soldiers and eight trash we are showed up at our office and they destroy our fence gate and you know enter into our office so we were arrested and they they pointed their guns to our head i said no please don't shoot us we were taken to the uh, military headquarters in rangoon and 30 minutes later so we were taken to the northern rangoon we call yegi interrogation center so where we were tortured and you know interrogated for 15 days and this was you and and hantan yin yeah me and hantan yin my producer okay okay so can you describe what happened during the interrogation i mean who who were the people who were interrogating you they are soldier you know i, I don't know about the exactly of their rank and file but uh yeah there's a five people they are rotating every two hours to torture me and interrogate me like you know good god and bad god routine so three people is you know they are adding like you know bad god and two hours later there's a two more guys they were like preaching our uh, what our doing is wrong you know something like this so they asked me for like five, first four days they asked me about my biography where i was born which school i went to and then you know i live i, I told them i live in united states i went to school and finish i back to bombay so yeah yeah the, during that first four days it's a very very cruel very brutal and um, my i they punched to my face um they beat to my eardrums for several times during the interrogation and they hit my shoulder and they kicked me off i think um my micro producer handan yin was you know badly treated uh he was you know he was asked to kneeling down for like several hours his legs are put in on the ice block for like 3 hours that's what he shared with me and then you know because you know he denied to give his you know passcode for his iphone so he was you know badly beaten and then his you know he was taken off his shirt and you know burned with his secret lid and then finally you know there were attempt to rape him so he said no 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 please don't please don't i will give you know i will give him my passport so after he did they found out so a lot of picture he was working with the foreign journalists like cnn aljazeera abc australia and then there's a photo he was with on sansuji and former president tenjo and minko nai so they showed that picture and beat him very badly it's totally nightmare it's nightmare it must be very difficult for you to recount all this. Were you, were you with Hantan Yen during during this episode of interrogation or were you in separate places? Uh, in the same compound, but we were in, we were put in the separate building. So we could not see each other. But one time uh, only I for 5 minutes I I was, you know, overheard about the Hantan Yen answering from the from a little bit different distance. So uh, I knew that okay, he's with me all the time, but we could not see and hear each other for 15 days. You managed to hear from him about how he was treated later on. Yeah, later on. Yeah, you know, while we are, you know, sent to prison, so we 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 stayed together for like 13 13 more days. So at the time, he shared me with his, you know, nightmare. Okay. Okay. 
I mean, when the police were beating you, were they doing it for a purpose? I mean, were they trying to extract information from you? Was there any kind of method in, in, what, in the maltreatment they were giving you? Uh, actually, they are not police. They are military soldiers. Yeah. And they were intelligence, yeah, military intelligence. I think I I don't know exactly about what they are in uh, what they are in mind, but they what I what I can tell is that they don't know about us. Actually, they just know our names, and they have orders to arrest me and torture us. And finally, when they found out I'm a U.S. citizen on my full date of the interrogation, yeah, they just stopped torturing me. And but they, they, they killed me. You know why I lied to them? I said I didn't lie to you. Because I was speaking Burmese, so you are, you thought I'm a Burmese. I didn't lie, you didn't ask. So you have my passport. You have everything, all documents and office material, you know. So I think our interrogation, you know, concluded on eight days. So after eight days, there's no torture. So we got food for like, after three days later, we have a water after two days later. So we haven't had, you know, showered for two weeks. Did you get a chance to meet with any other detainees? I mean, can you tell us a bit about the kind of, you know, if you did, what sort of people you met and, you know, if you learned mm -hmm. about abuses that the other people were enduring? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I met with, you know, a lot of people in the uh, prison um, before I moved to the uh, main central prison, but they have an attached prison. They put like more than 2,000 political detainees where they are, you know, high-profile ministers, and, you know, the NDCC member. I didn't hide, you know, they were tortured badly. But but a lot of, you know, the protesters, the youngsters, you know, Generation Z, they were mistreated while they are in the interrogation center for one night and they share with their stories. There's a lot of, you know, wounded. And there was, you know, the broken shoulder. There's a, there's a many, many, you know, oh my God, I couldn't describe it all, you know. Some, a lot of people, you know, in, they were assigned to prison every day. They were badly, you know, beaten. So bleeding, and broken land, and broken ribs. So yeah, they have a, you know, teeny tiny clinic in the prison. So you can you I, I I can see there's a long line waiting for the clinic in every day in the evenings. Yeah, what was the mood of the people like inside the prison when you were with other detainees? They they are they are you know they are high spirited you know they will never give up even we were in the uh, you know in the prison so we were hoping for the relief you know as soon as possible and everybody told me like you know. We'll, we'll fight back as soon as we release. So we will never give up. This this revolution must be won. That is what's the story they share with me, you know? I mean, how do you feel about your captors, the people who, you know, were beating you and treating you so badly and, and treating all these other detainees so badly? You know, personally, I, do, I don't have, you know, you know, strong feeling against them at the level because I meditate every day, you know, I share with my loving kindness to everybody. But for the, you know, the situation of Burma, I will not forgive and forget them. I have to brought them, you know, before the justice, one day. You know, they, 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 not only, you know, they did it to me or they did it to the other people, to, they are against to the entire population. 
So they must be brought before the justice. You know, sort of watching the coup unfold from afar and like seeing and hearing about all the shocking violence and abuses that have happened in the past five months, it just seems like the military and men online are willing to, you know, do anything to cling on to power, a bit like the military was after the, the protests in 1988. And I guess after the protests that I know that you took part in in, in the 1990s. I mean, what do you feel will happen to Myanmar, you know, in this situation now? Uh, you know, the situation, the, the, the new situation, we, we should call that is a totally different with the past, you know, because it is a new experience for us too. It's, it's unlike, you know, 1988, unlike, you know, 1996 or 2007. This time, the entire population are totally, you know, against the, the military. So they will not step back. I think they will, they will fight, they will fight against me online until the show is done. So I don't know about exactly how the show is going to be, but, you know, there's, a, you know, resistance fighting, you know, emerging, rising, and every day there's a lot of assassination and fighting against the police and military soldiers. So in next, next couple of weeks or, you know, next month, that'll be, that'll be civil war. That'll be civil war. There'll be a lot of, you know, humanitarian, widespread humanitarian crisis. So I don't understand really about, you know, international communities are just watching us, closely monitoring and doing nothing. So we badly need to do the aggressive action against May Online's army because the, the military is not a standard military army. It's just like a bandit. They are just like, you know, fascists. So the, the entire population are, you know, fighting against fascists. And the world is just watching. That's, you know, that's, you know, I feel so badly. We need to do something. We need to do very, 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 very concrete action. I, I'm sure your frustrations are shared by millions of people inside Myanmar and, and, and millions outside Myanmar as well. <laughs> Can I tell you, I mean, going back to your personal situation, what happened when you were released and, you know, how did you feel? How did you feel? It must have been a huge relief. No, you know, I just, you know, I never enjoy my freedom. You know, I, I knew that I will be, I'll be, I'll be released, you know, five days before. Until now, you know, I'm, I'm not enjoying at all because I, you know, I, I left, you know, behind, I left my friends behind the prison and there's a lot of inmates, you know, I, we share with the same stories. So that's only me, you know, because of the, you know, U.S. citizen. And because of the a lot of pressure from the U.S. government and the RCM, you know, we need we need all political prisoners, you know, released immediately. So I could not I'm gonna enjoy my freedoms unless, you know, there's an order of you know the release. I feel guilty. Yeah, I'm not sure that's fair on you, but what do you plan to do? Um, now with Kamayut Media, are you able to operate in any way? What 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 is um what are you doing now that you're here in the states? Uh, right now, you know, I'm now organizing my you know uh, journalists. They were around in the hiding around around 
around Myanmar, so in the northern part, eastern part, so it's a very difficult to walk for them. So I'm just, you know, keep in touch with them, you know, and I don't know exactly the plan for the Kamayo media to do it, but I'm committed to do my journalism work for people of Myanmar for my entire life. So I have to do this. So now I have to take care of some of my, you know, friends and, you know, journalists for their social things, social welfare. Yeah, yes, I'm looking to. Well, with however that works out and whatever you choose to do, Nathan, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your strong opinions about the situation in Myanmar today. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much You know, having the opportunity to talk with you. In a pugnacious speech to mark the centenary of the CCP, Xi Jinping served notice to China's rivals and foes that the Chinese people will not be bullied or cheated. But Xi glossed over the darkest episodes of modern Chinese history, in which the Communist Party itself was the bully, be it the 1960s famine after the Great Leap Forward or the Cultural Revolution. And Xi's speech drove home the primacy of Chinese Communist Party control over 1.4 billion people and Xi Jinping's own control over that party as effectively president for life. There were few celebrations, however, of the milestone among Tibetans, Uyghurs, and Hong Kongers, all mostly unwilling parts of the Chinese empire. One Tibetan activist pointed out that China is one of the only countries in the world that spends more on domestic security than on its military. And a Pew Research Center poll released this week of people across 17 developed countries found large majorities in most of the advanced economies surveyed have broadly negative views of China. Rita Chung from RFA's Mandarin Service is going to share with us her impressions on Chinese President Xi Jinping's speech to mark the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Communist Party. Rita had covered China as a reporter for a Taiwanese news agency and has also covered the U.S. and China affairs from Washington. Thank you for making time for us, Rita. Thank you for having me, Paul. Well, that certainly was a blunt speech by Xi Jinping, and it appeared to be aimed at the domestic audience. What is your take, Rita? Paul, I think that I'll probably totally agree with you. Like you say that he's targeting the domestic audience, but still, I'm still very surprised about the word he chose. Um, to me, it's like reminding me the cultural, cultural revolution style. Um, there is an old saying in Chinese culture that we say that a gentleman will choose the war cautiously. And um, if I may have a suggestion for President Xi Jinping, I would definitely uh, suggest him to hire a better speechwriter. Because nowadays, China is like the, the, the second greatest country in the world. Uh, you shouldn't use such a violence and brutal word to represent your image in the international society, although you are targeting your domestic audience, but people are listening, people are watching. And <laughs> I mean, uh, to me that even nowadays, I don't think that the gangster will choose such a violence war. Well, it's, it sounds a lot like the Wolf Warriors, which we talked exactly. about a little, a little while back. <laughs> yeah. So that's the spirit. Now, one of the things that you just mentioned and also uh, struck me today and has struck me for a long time is the gap between how the Chinese Communist Party perceives itself and its international image. It seems to be big and growing. Do you think people understand that or how do they how do they explain that? Well, actually, the, uh, like you, you and me 
has have paid a lot of attention on Chinese uh, diplomacy and the Chinese uh, politics. That we all know that that that's why they always accuse that the United States is leading the smear campaign against China and Chinese people. So, like for instance, the the speech that President Xi Jinping just delivered, um, although he didn't name any like foreign forces, but a lot of the foreign media um, think that he is targeting the United States as well. But once again, if we go back to the his word in detail, that he said the foreign fo fo foreign forces is, is bullying and oppress and enslaved Chinese people. Really, think about that. Who who is the one? Who is the one? oppressing, enslaved, and then bullying the Chinese people. I think the, um, some Chinese people will say, ah, CCP should take the responsibility on it. But and the, is the United States really running a smearing campaign against Chinese people? I don't think so. The other thing that's quite surprising is uh, 100 years and not a few achievements for the Chinese Communist Party. But for a party that considers itself supremely successful and popular, it takes no chances with public opinion and security. It was very tight, tighter than ever. And we know about Chinese security, the usual sending intellectuals on forced vacations to some industrial spa, that kind of thing. Why, if, if the party is so happy and the people are happy and the party is so uh, successful, why do they do all this? I think, Paul, this is really an interesting question. You know what? Uh, when I talk with my former colleague from Taiwan, that they they are in Beijing now to uh, broadcasting this uh, event, they say they have to uh, get up at around 12 because they have to meet to get together around like a 2 a.m. in the midnight. And then the event after 7 a.m., that no one is allowing to go to the bathroom, that people can... People, the only thing that you can be is just being there and then without moving. And then um, think about that. If you are having a birthday party, the, the atmosphere must be happy and then enjoyable. However, the, a lot of Chinese people are are told that they, especially in Beijing, some uh, some specific area that you are not allowed to going out at that day. It's really a, a way a happy party to join for Chinese people? I don't think so. Yeah, quite a lot of paranoia there. Hmm. Another striking feature in the run-up to the 100th anniversary hmm. is all of the rewriting or whitewashing or airbrushing of history that took place. Uh, and in your case, you uh, dug deep and found a whole lot of statements by the Chinese party and its media celebrating democracy, criticizing yes. the government at the time, that was the Guomindang that, that moved to Taiwan. Yes. Um, how do they make all that history disappear? Do they deny that these Xinhua and other, you know, major well, newspaper reports exist? What I I understand is that a few years, actually, that's that's like a few years ago, a uh, author, a Chinese author called Xiao Shu, that, he collect all the uh, most of the like the article the Xinhua Daily and the Liberty Daily has published before during the 1940 during the 1940 that they are the CCP was fighting for the democracy and freedom in China, but nowadays the, uh, like the, for instance the People's Daily that they have been taken down this 
these data and already. However, the uh, thanks for Xiao Shu that he collected most of the article that we can read a little bit about the, how the CCP was fighting for the freedom and democracy. And uh, I was also thinking if I was that young generation during 1940, I probably I will very I will be very encouraging by what CCP said, and I may be join them to fight for democracy and freedom as well. Well, indeed, back then they sounded hmm. progressive, and the yes. forces, the, tra the the traditional forces, and the corruption and the war and hmm. all of that thing. You can see how the rallying cry could work. I remember being a reporter in Beijing, and Zhu hmm. uh, Rongji was prime minister then, and uh, yeah. Madeleine Albright was the Secretary of State. So it was back in the '90s, Bill Cl the Bill Clinton presidency, and hmm. Madeleine Albright. Talked about human rights and said that when she met Jurongji, he told her that right. he he was a human rights activist when he joined the Communist Party in whatever it was See? the 1930s. Uh -huh. That's what he said. <sighs> so I don't know. Once they are in the office, they to me they seems like forget the goal that they were they were trying so hard to achieve. Well, sure, and they've been in office 72 years now. Yeah. So speaking of uh, July 1st. Uh, that's also a troubling anniversary down in Hong Kong. Exactly. Uh, for different reasons. So what are people thinking there, especially when they look up in Beijing and see this speech, their new boss, or what's the feeling in Hong Kong as far as you can perceive it? I have to say that uh, first, so first of July, uh, it's like a, a centenary for CCP. Also, it's like a one year uh, after the Hong Kong implied the national security law already. Um, and we all know that how terrible the, the situation in Hong Kong now, like the Apple Delhi has been shut down before the 1st July, 1st of July, and the Jimmy Lai still in prison. And I think the for some, for the most of the Hong Kongers, it's a sorrowful day that they don't have like any mood to celebrate party's birthday. The CCP present an idea that they are the one to make the promise, but they will never honor the promise they made. In Hong Kong, they promised that Hong, Hong, Kong, Hong Kong has the one country, two system. However, the, I don't think anyone will say that one country, two systems still work nowadays. Indeed, and they are dangling that uh, one country, two systems offer to Taiwan, mm. where you come from. Oh. What are they saying down there? Oh, during the during the President Xi's speech, the, once again, he, he said that the Chinese people will smash any intention who want to help Taiwan's independence. Um, I will say this, that Taiwan has been threatening to Unit united with with the People's Repu People's Republic of China for quite a long time already. The Taiwanese people won't accept that that concept, so-called one country system, because we are a country. Uh, no matter the, I will say this, Taiwan is a country. No matter you prefer that the name of the country is Taiwan or the name or the Republic of China, but definitely we don't belong to the People's Republic of China even one day. So um, I think the more President Xi Jinping try to force Taiwanese people to accept the concept, the less Taiwanese people will, will accept that. Well, thank you, Rita, for a wide-ranging 
view of this important day in modern Chinese history. Thanks, Rader and Paul, for that look at Xi Jinping's Communist Party party. I must confess, I didn't listen to Xi's entire speech, but I did choke on my cornflakes when I read this quote afterward. He said, We will never allow anyone to bully, oppress, or subjugate China. Anyone who dares to do that will have their heads bashed bloody against the Great Wall of Steel forged by over 1.4 billion Chinese people. End quote. So, Paul, is that purely for a domestic audience or is it intended to intimidate international rivals, you think? I would think domestic. And uh, I understand that that was the part of the speech that got the largest cheers among the crowds that were watching it or assembled to watch it on televisions in public. Like China's wolf warrior diplomacy, it looked like a performance for a home audience. The most striking thing to me about this is the gap in perceptions between the CCP and the outside world. And it seems like it's only getting larger. Please join us again next week for another sampling of RFA's coverage. Until then, you can visit our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts are available on platforms like Spotify, Google, Podcast, and iTunes. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is eoa at rfa.org. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Paul Eckert with Radio Free Asia with Matt Pennington. This series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again. 